WRFN, LP Pasquo. What's happening, Nashville and beyond? This is Creepy Steve. Coming at you through the airwaves. Doesn't get much creepier than that as far as creepy avenues or potentials. Yeah. Welcome to Ghost Town. Happy Labor Day weekend. Hopefully you don't have to work tomorrow. If you do, thanks for taking one for the team. That's honest. That's not me being a smartass. Like usual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sound like <laughs> Sling Blade there for a second. All right, so uh, in uh, ironic fashion, uh, featuring men at work today for Labor Day weekend, this was a group that was formed in Australia in uh, 1978 with uh, Colin Hay being the, la- the lead vocalist, one of the main songwriters, um, although the songwriting was often a collaborative effort as well. Um, he was the front man, so to speak, though. Um, he formed the group with Jerry Spicer on drums and uh, Ron Stryker on lead guitar. And then later they were joined by Greg Ham on flute, saxophone, and keyboards, a very prominent figure of the band and their unique sound. And also John Rees on bass guitar. And uh, they achieved national and international success in the early 80s, a very short-lived phenomenon, though, for this group, um, as are a lot of the greats. A flash in the pan... But these guys are good. So I'm going to play, uh, I'm going to feature them very heavily today. I'm going to play their first two records. Two out of three. Two out of three. Business as usual being the first one. And so we're going to get into that right now. Stay tuned. This is Radio Free Nashville. You're in Ghost Town.
where did the name Men at Work come from? Well, we won it, we won it in a raffle. Oh. <laughs> what, was, what was second prize? Second prize? Oh, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> he took you up on that one, mate. Uh, we sent away for it, actually. It's on the back of a comic book. Said, you know, right right in. Send 15 cents and we'll send you the best band name that we've got. Came <laughs> off the street, actually. Came off the street. Men at work signs are big in Australia, where guys sit around, stand around and have men at work signs. And there's ten of them and one of them works and nine of them watch it. That's right. You have the equivalent here, but it's called men working, I think. Mm. Right. We like the idea of doing a job where one person worked and the rest just sort of did nothing. Just, who is the one person that works at the column? Oh, no, it's sort of by raffle. Yeah, it's a rostering sort of, system. Yeah, it depends. Your, yeah. your turn tonight. It depends when the boss comes around too, you know, whoever happens to be in the trench.
Men at Work. We're listening to their first record, Business as Usual. You just heard I Can See It in Your Eyes. Also in there, Who Can It Be Now? And a little interview clip with Colin Hay and Greg Ham on the band name Origin. And um, in January of 1983, they they were the first Australian artist to have a simultaneous number one album and number one single in the U.S. And that was on the Billboard charts. Um, which was released in uh, November of 1981, so it took a took a couple years there almost. Um, but the uh, the single to accompany that on, that was number one on the singles chart was Down Under, released in '81, and um, with the same uh, coupling of album and single, uh, they achieved the same success with the number one album and number one single in Australia, New Zealand, and the UK charts. Pretty cool stuff. Here's the single now. Down Under, it's Men at Work in Ghost Town, Radio Free Nashville.
Greg does everything else, everything that none of the others do. Anything that nobody else does. If we've got a part or we've got an idea for something, we go, what, you're not doing much there, are you? Greg? Sousaphone, mate, be great in there. <laughs> but don't buy the sousaphone. <laughs> oh, we can uh, buy one. it. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> what about the others? John Reese plays bass. Perhaps the most eccentric person in the band. In what way? Well, he's well, eccentric. He's mad. <laughs> yeah? What more can I say? Is that the reason they didn't ask him to come down today? Is that well, it? actually, he's locked in at the moment. <laughs> he's the most hotel trained, though. <laughs> and then there's Jerry. Jerry yes. plays drums. Jerry plays drums, yeah. Jerry is the anchor man, really, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he's very much... Um, very much a perfectionist as a player. Lives in his bass drum. He's, really? He's got a little blanket in there and he snuggles up. <laughs> so, and then there's... Then there's uh, here's Rono. Yeah. Ron Stryker. Yeah. Ron's like the... Probably, maybe, perhaps, or arguably, probably, almost definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, the most inspired person in the band. I think. Plays guitar like no one else. He, he's just—he's he's he's a spontaneous sort of style. Try 
wrapping up side one of Business as Usual, the debut album by Australian band Men at Work, released in 1981. You just heard Helpless Automaton, also in there, Underground, and the number one single, Down Under. Uh, earlier, in this, earlier in the show, you heard the first two tracks off side one, I Can See It In Your Eyes, and Who Can It Be Now? We're going to continue on with side two here after this quick little snippet from uh, who we got here, Colin and Greg, one moment. Just hang on for that. Okay, here we go. You're in Ghost Town, Radio Free Nashville. I was playing acoustic guitar uh, with just acoustics. And I met Ron Stryker, the guitarist of Men at Work, and he was very inspirational. Um, and we worked together for about a year before the Men at Work band formed, and we worked at the Cricketers Arms Hotel <coughs> as a duo. And uh, that was great. That was a great time for me. The Cricketers Arms gave us an opportunity to play every week, regardless of whatever else was on offer. It gave us a place to go and to to bring people to, and it was a real personal little gig. So people sort of treated it as their own special little secret, you know. And it's like come down to the Cricketers Arms and see this band. So it's a free gig. Free gig. It was a small venue so even if we only had 50 or 60 people there it was packed when we put 150 people in there they were hanging from the rafters i guess the the other side of the the cricketers arms was that that because we were on the ground level and people were literally standing right in front of you you knew whether what you're doing was working or not mm. you could see whether you'd got their attention or whether they'd just gone off into an alcoholic haze and yeah the end of my saxophone got used as as an ashtray i had a an empty can of beer shoved down the end of it um, I had people talking into the end of the saxophone. <laughs> I don't know who they thought they were talking to. I'm not trying to impress you with my lies. They don't mean nothing at all. It's just another expression. Don't mean nothing 
For the first 14 years of my life in Scotland, then we did what a lot of people did, um, uh, some kind of tradition of emigrating to different parts of the world, and, and in my case it was Australia. I mean, there were lots before me that did that, you know, all the, the boys from ACDC and uh, the BGs all emigrated, and you know, many, countless other bands you could mention, you know, what came from that part of the world down to Australia, and then kind of launched themselves from there. The rest of the band were Australian, and... Um, but yeah, I uh, feel like I'm definitely from two places. It kind of blows your mind when you're 14 years old and you go to the other side of the world. Everything is different. Everything is ma everything in Australia was massive. You know, like the distances were huge and the waves were huge. And it was a very, very uh, amazing experience. I suppose at the time it's... Um, 
uh, you're slightly traumatic because you're doing that. You know, you're leaving your friends and you're going somewhere. You're going somewhere else, but it's it's kind of overshadowed by the fact that you're going to something new. So you meet new friends, and all of a sudden you're in a new world. And and uh, when you're that age, you you're very adaptable. So you just you know you you carry on. Plus, I was just I was just starting to get involved with you know playing music, and a lot of my friends were surfers. They a lot of my friends went down the surf, and and I you know I would go down with them now and again, but. Once I kind of discovered playing the guitar and playing in bands, that was kind of it for me, you know. So it was around that time when I first started playing with different different musicians, and so that became my new world. You know.
Catch a star, you're in Ghost Town. We're hanging with Men at Work today. Getting, uh, we're, we're a little over halfway through the first record, Business as Usual. That was Catch a Star. You also heard Be Good Johnny, and people just love to play with words. A couple more for you here off the side, off the side two, rather. And I will be playing you the sophomore release Cargo as well today. So I hope you like Men at Work, and if not, maybe this is your opportunity to change your mind, you know? Uh, stay tuned. I'm going to keep com- coming with you. Could keep coming at you if I can keep, keep, keep talking proper, properly. I'm going to keep bringing you their music and also plenty of, of interview bits that are uh, very informative. I'm going to let them do the talking because clearly I'm having a hard time today. That's okay. It's Labor Day. I'm kind of taking a breather. All right, men at work here in Ghost Town. <laughs> Can you help me get off this fence? Can't you see I'm just an 
strong live following. I hit a bit of a vein uh, with the band because I had an immediate vehicle, you know, and they were great to play with. And so I started to write a lot of songs and, um, and uh, you know, Ron was writing some songs and, and I wrote Be Good Johnny with Greg. And so that was a kind of a cool song to come up with. And there was a, um, a guy who worked for CBS Records and he was, a, he was in sales. He wasn't an A&R guy. But we used to play at this bar every Wednesday night called the Pier Hotel in Frankston, and there was no hardly anybody came. It's a big, big room. It held a thousand people, and maybe maybe two hundred people would come every Wednesday night. And he used to come. He was a huge fan. So one day he went into CBS Records and he and he nailed people's telephones to the table and he redirected the car park and put men at work signs everywhere to get all the executives' attention. And so he did that one day, and so the A&R guy from CBS came down to see us because of that, because there was this huge fan within the company. But he didn't have any power, but he managed to get their attention. So the, so the A&R guy came down to see us, and he, he saw the potential in the songs. And there happened to be, coincidentally, an American record producer in Melbourne at the time, a guy called Peter McKeon, who ended up producing the first two albums. And, uh, and um, so Peter, Peter Carpen came down, and he, you know, wanted to sign the band. And we only got a single deal, a deal for a single at first, because they didn't, you know, they, they didn't have any confidence in us, really, you know. Uh, so we did a deal for a single, which was Who Could It Be Now? And we released that, and it went to number two or something. So then we did the album. And so everything seemed to kind of have some, everything seemed to fall into place. I mean, we were very ambitious, and we really wanted to become successful. And we wanted to become successful not only in Australia, but in the rest of the world. So, so we, didn't, we weren't really interested in signing a, a record deal which was just based in Australia. We always wanted to sign to a multinational. And CBS were the only, you know, which became Sony, they were the only label that were interested, which suited us. And it was a terrible, terrible deal, almost a criminal deal, you know. I think we were on sort of like four, four or five points or something like that, you know, as opposed to, say, 14 when you get a record deal now. So it was a horrible deal, you know. second or third one. But, you know, we got... It was a record deal, and we wanted to make a record, so, so, um, so that's what we did.
All right, that wraps side two for business as usual. You're chilling in ghost town with me, Creepy Steve. We're hanging with men at work today on a Labor Day weekend of all weekends. How about that? Down by the sea, also in there, touching the untouchables. Catch a star, be good Johnny, and people just love to play with words. Started off side two there of that record. And I'm going to get right into the second one here. That's right, two records today for men at work. How's that for celebrating non-labor? <laughs> uh, let's see here. This was released in uh, May of 1983. And this also went number one in Australia. Uh, New Zealand, it was number two. Number three in the U.S. and number eight in the U.K. And this is two of three albums the band released in its entirety in its short existence. Another flash-in-the-pan gem of a band, Men at Work. I'm going to get right into it now. Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive, Radio Free Nashville. Bye. 
times he loves to say that old black man. The first yeah. single was actually, uh, Who Can It Be Now, actually got released overseas with no, we're almost without our knowledge. In fact, Who Can It Be Now got released in places like France and Israel. Israel was the first country, I think, outside Australia where we had a number one. Yeah, and this was previous to the album. So, And these were not things that, that, that was just like a random thing that the, that the CBS affiliate in that country, somebody heard it and went, oh, this is great, and they put it on. So. And that was, a, that was a very sort of uh, positive thing for us because we thought, well, you know, that's, it, it's got its own life here. There is something to this that, that is not just here in Australia or it's not just the record company making it all happen. It, it happened in its... It had a life of its own. So, so who can it be now? It already gone out there and done some stuff before we... Before we did the record. Before the we album. did the album. And, uh, and then once the album was ca- came out, it really... It was here in Australia that it... And, obviously down under and so on became very successful. You know, we got a lot of breaks, but at the same time, we had a lot of things to offer. And we had a lot of things, a lot of obstacles that were put in our way that we, that we overcame um, all along the way. You know, right from the start, right from the start of, of people, you know, in our hometown going, you know, this, this band are not, not going to happen, you know. And I mean, I mean, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people did feel that was because that we pretty much ran our own race. Lights. And though there's little variation in the 
Settle down, my boy. We're listening to Men at Work off their second record, Cargo. You also heard Overkill and Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive. This was released in 1983. And uh, let's see here. <laughs> I lost my place. There you go. Notes. Too many. Um, this also peaked at number one, as did their first record. And this uh, lasted for two weeks. On the Australian charts in New Zealand, it reached number two. And it had been uh, finished in mid-1982 with McGeehan producing again. And uh, this was held back due due to the success of the debut on the international market. It didn't get picked up later until, I mean, at least a year and a half later by the U.S., um, that first record. Um, So business as usual was still riding high. And then Cargo appeared at number three on the Billboard 200 and number eight in the U.K., uh, the lead single, Overkill, which you already heard, was issued in Australia ahead of the album. This was in October of 1982, and it reached number six. It peaked at number three in the U.S., and then uh, Dr. Heckle and Mr. Jive, you also heard the first track there off the record. Uh, that followed in March of 83, made it to number five in Australia and number 28 in the U.S. And you'll hear a third single coming up. I'll save you. I'll, I won't spoil the surprise. Let's put it that way. More men at work. You're chilling in ghost town. This is Radio Free Nashville. I'm Creepy Steve. America was really the last country to really pick up on the band. It was late, you know, because it's, it's this big monster, you know, the biggest market in the world. But it was it's very slow. And we, our album was rejected twice in America by the A&R department. They, they didn't have all that much confidence in it. So, And it, the its release was forced. Uh, was was um, Their decision not to release was um, over... Was, um, uh, over, overridden by Dick Asher, the guy who uh, who ran the label at the time, because Peter Carpenter, the guy who signed us, used to work for him. So he called him and said, you know, you've got to put this album out. It's going to work, you know. So, and we got a, we opened up for Fleetwood Mac, and there was a whole lots whole lots of things that happened that were conspiring to uh, create our success. Yeah, MTV did have, it did have a big effect. It was like it was like MTV really really helped, but in many ways. I don't think it would have happened unless, because we were still a radio band. You know, I don't think MTV would have played the videos unless it was already happening at radio, you know. But that was the icing on the cake. That's what really put it through the roof was, was you know, them. Plus, I think they only had about four videos there anyway. They kept on playing them over and over again. <laughs>
Pull out the stop plugs Drain all the waste Who needs it anyway Fill all the big holes Leave no trace No sign of yesterday Wash all the dishes and Clean up my plates No sign of yesterday I stare at the photographs of your dark face No sign of yesterday Out in the yard was such a lovely place It's where we used to play Inside, outside You can feel and taste No sign of yesterday And I can't hear you calling I can't hear you calling I can't hear Ships are falling This old car keeps stalling Always seems to be the way Pick up the pieces and Dig out the dead Then you can go to bed This night is the steeler Time is the test No sign of
This is Radio Free Nashville. You're listening to Men at Work in Ghost Town. Yeah, I've been writing songs, you know, since I was about 14, but, you know, it's like a big, long apprenticeship. You spend 10 or 15 years writing songs, and then they see, they, they started to get a bit better, you know, I think, around the late 70s. And they still are, aren't they? Well, I, I, I like to think they are, yeah. I don't even really think it has everything to do with time, you know, because, you know, you like to think that you're writing better songs as you as you get older or that you're getting better at what you do, but, you know, I'd maybe I'd put a song, say, like Overkill that I wrote but with the old band up against anything that I've done now. So you, I think you just kind of hit, for me anyway, you seem to keep doing it, keep doing it, and then you kind of, now and again, you hit little little kind of veins of 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 um, the good stuff, you know. You, you know, you have to kind of pick away at the pick away at the wall a lot, and then, and then, but but the more you do that, you know, the more lucky you get, you know, or the, the more available it is, you know, something like that. Anyway, but I, you know, more than anything, I, I just um, it's habit as well. You know, it's like it's my job, it's what I do for a living, and I like to look at it like that because. You know, there's an element of discipline about that, and there's an, el an element of okay, well, I've had breakfast now. What do I do? Will I go, go down to the studio or you know do some work? You know, but but it's more than that. It's, it's a it's a pretty joyous way to make a living. You know, when it's all said and done, you know, it's it's fantastic. You know, it's better than what I've, better than anything else I've ever done. You know. It's a mistake 
That's the third single off of Men at Work's second record, Cargo. It's a mistake. You also heard No Sign of Yesterday and Upstairs in My House. A couple of good ones there. Three good ones. They're all good. That's right. Men at Work. This, uh, let's see here, again was released in 1983. And uh, It's a Mistake reached number six in the U.S., by the way. And the band did a huge world tour in support of this album. This was definitely... The peak of their height. All right, continuing on with Cargo, the second record by Men at Work. This is Radio Free Nashville. You're in Ghost Town. I'm Creepy Steve.
a movement all over that's called new wave or modern music. Not that new. No, it's been no, around. It's been around for quite a few years. It's new here. Seems like uh, Minute Work has blazed that trail. How do you feel about that? I don't know. Uh, well, be a lot of people would, would probably argue, <laughs> we argue strongly, vehemently with you over that. Yeah, but I mean, there's been other bands. I mean, Police certainly and Pretenders must have done us their, their fair share of trailblazing over here. The new wave, you know, term is so all-encompassing now. You know, and especially in America, it's like anything that isn't a band that has been around for 10 years and plays the same kind of music as every other band is termed new wave in America. I don't really think we fit into a, like a, a, new, a new wave thing in America. We may be sort of Americans think, oh, well, they're new wave because they haven't heard us before. You're not listening to new wave bands and then pattering your sound after these bands then? You know, there probably be people would argue with this, but we've never sat down and said, let's sound like this, let's sound like that. We've always kind of come up with tunes and played them the way we want to, but people always love to say, oh, they've, they've gone and listened to them and copied them. It's just, it's a totally ridiculous notion. I don't, think, I don't think anyone does that. You know, really. I mean, I think very few people do that. And I close the blind Cause I can't stand to see the light all day I can stare outside and hear the sound Sound Today I look right down Right down to the ground With nothing in between to break my fall I'm blue for you I'm blue for you I don't know what to do I've never seen Always pastures green Cause all the old ones Are making me blue for you Cause I'm I'm blue for you I'm blue for you I don't know what to do Cause I'm I'm blue for you I'm blue for you
For You and High Wire, two amazing tracks off of Men at Work's second record, Cargo. We are getting near the end of this one, and uh, this was released in 1983. In 1984, the uh, band was seeing some tensions, and uh, they took a break and then tried to reconvene, and ended up kind of splitting up at that point. Uh, both Rees and Spizer were told they were not required, and then Hay and Ham and Stryker used uh, session musicians to record their third album, Two Hearts, which was released in 1985. And uh, it was produced by Hay and Ham. So basically it was the Hay and Ham show after that, more or less. And uh, this only peaked at number 16 in Australia, number 50 on the U.S. chart. And then Stryker ended up leaving during its production. Um, yeah, and they hired other musicians to support the tour for Two Hearts. And... Um, they kind of fizzled out after that. Um, on July 13th of 85, they performed three tracks for the Oz for Africa concert, which is part of a, a Live Aid effort. And um, by early 86, they were pretty much defunct, and Hay started recording his first solo album, Looking for Jack. And this was put out in 1987. Uh, here's Colin Hay on the breakup of Men at Work. I don't think it was really people thinking about doing solo projects. I know, I know that I was never... I was never thinking I'd love to do, I always wanted to be in a great rock and roll band, you know, that's really what, what I really wanted to do, you know, as opposed to being a solo artist, I always wanted to be in a great rock band, and I kind of still do in a way, you know, and, uh, but it was, um, you know, the ego thing was, I don't, I don't think that, um, I don't think that anybody in, within the band was really, crazily out of control. I think everything, everything was kind of out of control because it, it was a very strange thing that happened to us. It was a true phenomenon, you know. And I think that really more than anything, it was the, um, you know, the, the personalities within the band that really, it was just wasn't destined to go the distance, you know, really. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it also really depends on who you talk to as well, you know. Um, I was, more than anything, I was really emotionally kind of, um, I was very angry, you know, really about the fact that the band wasn't going to last, you know. It I'd like to pull a plug in my top, sit and watch the water flow down the drain, Down. I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. 
I was, it was very upsetting. It made me very, very kind of even angry, but kind of like I couldn't understand why some of the other, you know, uh, people in the band didn't realise how important or how, how what an amazing thing it was that we were doing, you know, and how incredible it was, you know, and um, uh, you know, so it was just. Uh, it was it was a difficult time, you know. But also, I think it's more than anything. It's men together, men in their twenties together. You know, we don't have great communication skills till sometimes never, but maybe till you're forty, you think, oh, maybe I should, maybe I, maybe I could actually talk this through with somebody, you know, or 
that's really more than anything. I think that that's what happens with most, you know, male-dominated bands is the mm-hmm. fact that it's, you know, you're, you, you know, you're kind of, uh, you basically all want to want to get to the same place, but your methodology is very different. You know, for example, I always used to lock horns with a drummer. You know, and he's not a bad person. You know, but it was just like that. That was who I kind of locked horns with, and uh, and. Um, you know, but his he was he was very dedicated as well. You know, wanted to get to the same point, but his way of getting there was you know very very different from mine. You know, and it was like one of those things where maybe maybe if you have a you know an on the road shrink, you could you could fi- you could figure out stuff as you go along, as opposed to letting things get out of hand. You know. Up my eyes, 
Restrictions wrapping up Cargo. That's the second release from the band Met at Work on Labor Day weekend. How about that for irony? Not really. Just is that irony? Yeah. Did you get those mics working yet? Which one's that for? I don't know. It's not for. That might be. Uh, that might be. You hear me now? Yeah. I think it's two. It's two. Yeah. It's, it almost is two. Central. Yeah, that's right. RFN weekend at two o'clock. Matt the Prod Man. Right in the studio with us. Yeah, but yeah it's definitely a, a minute work sort of Labor Day holiday weekend. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate your support. I'm, I love it, man. It's great. Well, we just wrapped up the, the second record, and um, the a little tidbit I didn't share earlier that's noteworthy is um, the band did win the 83 Grammy Award for Best New Artist. So 83 was a huge year for those guys. Um, the other nominees were Asia, Jennifer mm-hmm. Holiday, The Human League, and Stray Cats. How about that? Mm-hmm. Interesting All good. trivia. All good. Hopefully that'll help somebody win some bar, some bar money <laughs> one day. And uh, also in August of 83, they were given a Crystal Globe Award for $100 million worth of record business by their U.S. label. So how's that? You get a little, you made us millions and millions of dollars. Here's your Crystal Globe. <laughs> Pat you on the head. Very good, lads. Very good, good show, Stoff. Brilliant, brilliant, Governor. And that same year in Canada, awarded the Juno Award for International LP of the Year. That's pretty cool. They're not even from Canada. Usually that's by artists that are over here in the U.S. that are from Canada. So I thought that was kind of cool. And they sold over 30 million albums worldwide. Um, Another tidbit, not so on the positive, is in February of 2010. Alarican Music Publishing won a court case against Hay and Stryker. Their record label, uh, Sony BMG Music Entertainment, and music publishing company EMI Songs Australia. All those guys got sued. Um, this arose from the uncredited appropriation of Kookaburra, originally written in 1932 by Marion Sinclair. Hmm. And the, uh, the issue with that was the, uh, the flute. The flute was apparently a complete ripoff of that song from the song Down Under. Really? Yep. Down Under, you know, Kookaburra sits in the old gum tree. Mary Mary King of the Bush, is he? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was on purpose. It fits, though, because it's all about Australia and the culture. I think it was a really tasteful tie-in, if you ask me, by Greg Ham, the, the flautist, if he was the one that actually, if it, in fact, was a conscious decision and if he, in fact, made it. I thought, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Sorry, I'm... I like the rolling. It's kind of soothing. Here, so. Maybe people have their bass cranked up and uh, that rolling sound. Oh, I thought that was great. Ooh. Rock, rock it out, man. Now I'm ready to go do a douche. Hmm? <laughs> Go away, little nip. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. 
Um, but the stress of that, unfortunately, uh, really got to Ham. Apparently, he took personal responsibility being the flute player. And uh, I don't know if this is, this is correlated, but he his body was found in uh, 2012 on April 19th. Uh, he apparently suffered a fatal heart attack, and he was only 58 years old. Mm. Pretty sad. The other guys are still alive and kicking, though. Um, but, yeah, he was a pretty pretty prominent member. All right. Well, I'll get over the want Well, I'll tell you. You, know, you just kind of... Well, we lost another great uh, artist this weekend, Walter Becker of Steely Dan. And on RFN Weekend, we're going to highlight some Steely Dan cuts. So. Fantastic. Yeah. Really great idea. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yes, RIP indeed. Yep. Fallen Angels. Yep. All right. We're going to... Sp- we're going to crank the tempo a little bit. I mean, just get things a little just more, get, more snappy. Things were na- things were a little negative here for the last few. Just okay. deaths. I guess deaths aren't negative. It's just a part of life. Part getting of life. out as John Lennon well, think what, what once said, it's getting out of one car and getting into another. I like it. I like yep. it. Yep. All right, Iggy Pop. The Idiot. <laughs> Sister Midnight. <laughs> Coming at you. Ghost Town. This is Radio Free Nashville.
the New York Dolls off their debut, Jet Boy. Also, you heard Sister Midnight off The Idiot. That was Iggy Pop. And I've got one more for you here, and then I'm going to take you up to the top, and it's Matt the Proud Man with RFN Weekend. This is Creepy Steve signing out. You're listening to Radio Free Nashville. Here's the birthday party. (laughs) 